Welcome to our North Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you. For further information about our church, please visit churchnorth.com or check out our social media at Church North. Today's speaker is Pastor Dave Niblock. We are finishing today, and I say that in faith, but we are finishing today this three-part series on the world of the generous. It was, it was, we didn't really know how long it was going to last, but I feel today is, is going to complete it today. And uh, thank you for those of you that have enjoyed it and, and shared that and just been responsive about it. And we have encouraged people today on Generosity Sunday as well to get involved in giving and being generous to each other. And um, so this morning or tonight, show your generosity to other people in this room in whatever creative way you want to do that. But um, the Bible encourages to be generous and sometimes you've got to practice generosity. It's all good amen in it. It's all good writing notes about it. It's all good saying that was great. But you need to sometimes practice generosity. And so I encourage you today at some form to be generous to somebody in this church. Amen. Romans chapter 12, reading from verse 9 to 21. It says this, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with man united, with people of low... (laughs) I just, sometimes my Bible just like words just... Willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. For if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord, on the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Some powerful words from the Apostle Paul uh, from the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. Challenging verses. It's hard to read those verses and just go, yeah, that's all good, like thumbs up. Like, no, they are challenging verses for every single one of us in this room today. You see, generosity usually lives in the postcode in the neighborhood of joy, of love, of friendship, of happiness. 
when you go to archive and you're with your friend, you're with your BFF and like you're ordering your lattes and your coffee mocha locker chockers and your cookies even though you're fasting and you're ordering everything there and then they you know they say it's going to cost you eight pounds sixty and there's a like a competition to be pay first on the contactless like oh it's okay I'll do it next time beep like it's joyful it's loving there's happiness involved usually when it comes to generosity But what happens when generosity enters into a different neighborhood? What happens when generosity enters a different postcode? What I mean by that is when your generosity has to encounter a different group of people. A different community of people. A different type of person that you love to show generosity to. A few weeks ago, we loaded up our car with um, some of my children's friends. They wanted to load up their cars with their friends. We were going somewhere to celebrate something. And we loaded two cars, because we have two cars. We have a seven-seater bus. It's called the Niblock bus. It's glorious. It's got TVs in the back. It's got air conditioning. It hasn't. It's 2007. It just about works. But it is the Niblock bus. And then we have another little five-seater car. We loaded it up with all of their friends, because we want... They're just generous because how many of you know you want to be generous to your friends? And we had a great time. And then this week, driving to school, there was somebody who was a distance from the school walking to the school with their father. And we were kind of pushing it time-wise, but we were driving. And I'm like, man, they're going to be like late. (laughs) They're going to be a lot later than... Like we're going to be. Because if we're driving and they're still walking. And it was interesting because the conversation I had in the car with our children. Because I said, um, I think I should, I think we went past them at some speed. And I was like, I think we should return to go and pick them up. To which the response was like, no way. (laughs) We can't pick them up. So it's just like, of course we can, like. In your school, like we need to get them to school, and um, there was still a long walk to go. And it was interesting the response because the response was, "But that person's not very kind to me at school, and so therefore there is a reluctance to engage in picking this person up." You see, it's one thing to be generous to people you like. It's another thing to be generous to people you don't like. And let's be honest in the room today. We all have people. Can we agree on this? We all have people who we don't like. Amen. Come on, don't you try and be holy on me and all (laughs) deeply spiritual, godly people. You can still be godly and not like some person. Okay? The Bible doesn't tell us to like everyone. It tells us to love everyone. Okay? There's a difference. Let's be honest, we all have people we don't like. And for some of us, they're at different levels. For some of the people, it's like, I really don't like, like they're Premier League dislikers. And then you have some like people who are like, mm, not necessarily want to sit and have an Andos with you, but like there's not massive dislike there. 
Put your hand... Oh, I won't put your hand. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm trying to say? And they might not be necessarily people in your life. They might be previous people from when you were at school, uni, people who have done things and, and whatever. But all of us have those kind of people. And so really what I want to speak about today, the world of the generous part three, is how to be generous to people you don't like. <laughs> what a title. <laughs> how to be generous to people that you don't really like. And the aim of this teaching, times three, third part today, has been to speak ultimately to our hearts. Because it is heart change that leads to real change. We cannot really change unless our heart changes. And Paul is basically saying to the Romans, he's saying we've got to do the work of generous living. It would be awesome if this generous life was free. It'd be awesome if it came easy. It'd be awesome if it wasn't like it wasn't like a stretch. But to be generous is costly. And the greatest cost is when you display generosity to those who are not deserving of your generosity. That's the greatest cost of generosity. When you display it and you give it to those who don't deserve it. Which, by the way, how many of you know, is the picture of the gospel. <laughs> Look what it says in Romans chapter 5, in verse 6 to 8. Paul also writing in the same book, he says, You see, at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for who? The ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us. His generosity for us, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is the picture of the gospel. Christ's death wasn't for the saint, it was for the sinner. His love was poured out on who? The enemy. His grace and his mercy was lavished on the most undeserving. Freely you have received, therefore freely give. I am undeserving. I would be considered a sinner. I would be considered an enemy of God. But yet Christ's love, his generous heart towards me, enabled me to receive generosity and love from him. And in Romans chapter 12, Paul emphasizes three different groups of people to show this sincere love and generosity and open-heartedness Towards The first group is one another, that we lavish generosity on one another, the Lord's people. And over the last couple of weeks, I encourage you to catch up if you missed these last two weeks, because the first week we spoke about what it is to, be, to give to God and be, to be generous to others. The world of the generous gets larger the larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And last week we spoke about what it is to pour our hearts out to God, to pour our love to God, to pour our everything to God with the alabaster jar, not just a little open up the lid and pour a little bit on, but to break the seal and to go full in in our devotion to God. And Paul emphasizes in Romans 12, you've got to show this generosity to one another. That's what we're encouraging each other to do today. And when I say that, you're like, yeah, we get that. Because you're easy to bless, and you're really easy to bless, and you guys are easy to bless. You're easy to bless. Why? Because we're the Lord's people. We partake in this with one another. The second group that Paul encourages us to be generous to are those who persecute you. 
And thirdly, he encourages to be generous to who? Your enemies. Now let's just break this down a little bit. The persecutors. Who are the persecutors? Because we hear the persecutors and we those who persecute you and you're there going, I haven't got, I haven't got those kind of people in my world. I don't really feel like I am persecuted. And in Paul's context, the reality would be we don't. Okay? Paul is talking to the, 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 the people in, in Rome who have been led by the Romans and Emperor Nero, who in AD 64 started persecuting the Christians badly, which lasted about 250 years until the recognition of Christianity by Constantine in 313. But Christianity was considered under Nero and many of those emperors led by the Roman rule was considered illegal. It was severely suppressed was Christianity. And it was extreme. Some Christians were actually burnt as human torches. And the wealthy and the influential would have garden parties and they would be lit up with Christians being the human torches around the garden to provide the light. Christians were also thrown into amphitheaters for wild beasts. And so when Paul is saying, bless those who persecute you, he's not talking about the persecution that we might experience here, which is having to queue for a cup of coffee after the service. It's slightly different persecution. And Paul is saying, bless those who persecute you. Bless those people who desire to set your life as a human torch. Bless those people who want to capture you and throw you into an amphitheater with wild beasts. Bless those people who are stopping you from being free in your faith. Bless those people. Bless, and what does he say? He doesn't say bless, he says bless and do not curse. And in my notes I've written what, question mark, question mark. How on earth... What, Paul, are you on about? I get kind of turning the other cheek. I can understand that to an extent. I can get kind of ignoring being the bigger man and running away from those who persecute me and deciding, you know what, talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. But Paul doesn't just say that. He says we're actually going to bless which shows favour, goodness, blessing of God on the people who are trying to persecute you. This is deep scriptures. It goes completely against our natural human reactions, which is to retaliate and respond. How many of you, when someone says something to young people at school, boom, you want to retaliate and respond? Retaliate and respond. It is a natural human reaction to do that. When somebody begins to persecute, you retaliate and you respond. Now, we might not experience New Testament persecution. Let's be honest, we don't, living in the United Kingdom. We don't. Other parts of the world, Christians still experience high, intense persecution. But in 2023, how can I make this relevant to you guys here in Leeds? I think what Paul would say now is bless those people, show favour, show goodness and show kindness 
to those people in your world who show hostility and sometimes some ill treatment towards you. Hostility and ill treatment towards you. Another, another, another meaning of persecution in uh, what it actually means is, and I think this might be a little bit more relevant to some of you, is to show, to show goodness and favour to those people who annoy you persistently. <laughs> Modern day persecution in Leeds in 2023. Those of you who annoy, people who annoy you persistently. Turn to your neighbour and say, you don't annoy me. <laughs> Often. <laughs> now, I want, I'm, we're going to we're we're make this message a little bit practical and interactive. Is that all right? I want you to spend the next 10 seconds thinking about someone who annoys you persistently. <laughs> Someone's leaving. They're so annoyed by... He's about to go and smack the person, whoever it is. Who is it? Let's watch. Let's watch. Oh, he must be in the foyer. Security! Bless him. He's only going to the bathroom. All right. Now, you have the name, right? You have the person. Would anyone like to share who it is? So they are the persecutors, okay? They are the persecutors. Then we have the enemies. The enemies. Now when I read this, if I'm honest, I, I read it and I hear it and I think, I don't have any enemies. <laughs> I, can't, kind of, I don't know if I'm just self-absorbed in like my own little world. I think, I don't think I have any enemies. I like everyone and I think everyone likes me. <laughs> so I think in my cloud cuckoo kind of land. What is an enemy? An enemy, someone who is actively opposed to you. Opposition in the form of a person, or it could be opposition in the form of a group. And what does Paul say about your enemies? Paul says, if your enemies are in trouble, what does he say? Help them. If those people who oppose you, those people who are providing opposition to you, if they get into trouble, if they are walking down the road and they are late for school, help them. If they are stranded in the street without petrol, help them. It echoes what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48, because Jesus says, this in Matthew 5. Jesus saying in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, You have heard of what it says, love your enemies and hate your enemy. Love, sorry, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not even, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. No, be perfect, therefore, as your far heavenly father is 
perfect. It got me thinking, got me thinking these last couple of weeks. Why is there this biblical obsession with doing everything completely opposite to the world? There's this biblical obsession. And I wish, it, I wish it, the Bible would lose its obsession. <laughs> with doing absolutely everything opposite to how the world would do it. Because I read it and I'm going, sure, that's fine for you, Jesus. You're the son of God. You are perfect. But I'm not the son of God. I'm a human being and I can't live to that standard. I can't operate my life at the level that you are operating at. And so that's good for you, Jesus. And I applaud you. And you get five out of five. But I I don't know how I do that. Why is the Bible obsessed with doing everything opposite? We have to love those who hate. We have to be kind to those. And we have to, like, why? And here's what I think it is, okay? And this is why I'm just opening up a little bit. Well, I think... We as Christians, we are obsessed and we live from what I'd call earth to heaven. So we're on earth, but heaven is coming. We're on earth, but we're going to heaven. We're on earth and we look forward to heaven. We're on earth, but the destination is heaven. But I think God, through his son Jesus... Is the opposite and lives from heaven to earth. From heaven to earth. And it's interesting because a few weeks ago I had the privilege of being with a few leaders. There's about 25 of us, me and Abs were there, and we had some time with a theologian. You might have heard of him, it's called N.T. Wright. Probably one of the world's leading theologians. And he spoke for three hours, and we were just like this. Amazing. And he went from Genesis. To Revelation and a whole different thing. And it was just an an life-defining moment. You'll always remember it. And he basically said, we as Christians in in our modern Western world are all obsessed with how the life that we live on on earth and and how ultimately it's going to take us to heaven. He goes, but the Bible is more about bringing heaven to earth. The restoration of earth into the Garden of Eden than it is us just made it into heaven. God is a lover of the earth that he created. God is passionate about the world that he created. Here on earth as it is in heaven. It's almost like Jesus is saying, what's the point in holding grudges, such temporary hostility, when we have all of eternity to live? Why are you holding love back from an enemy for a few days, weeks, months, years, when there is an eternity to live in heaven? Because ultimately, before we can love our enemies, before we can bless our persecutors, we have to discover firstly what it is to forgive them. And I can't continue this message really without really delving into what it is to understand what it is to forgive the persecutors and to forgive the enemy because I cannot love and I cannot bless truly without forgiveness I can show love hi (laughs) and I can show blessing here you are (laughs) but true love and true blessing is a heart issue 
And the most costly form of generosity, hear this, if you only go away with one thing today, I encourage you to go away with this. The most costly form of generosity is forgiveness. That is the most costly form of generosity. You see, in Matthew chapter 18, we read the parable of the unmerciful servant. And it's a powerful parable that Jesus speaks about because he says in verse 21 to 22 of Matthew chapter 18, someone comes to Jesus and, and basically um, says to him you know, about forgiveness. Peter comes and says, how many times should I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And then the next passage of the scripture goes on to talk about how a man comes to the master with a whole lot of debts. And the master's basically, I need to collect the debts. And the, and the man goes, I'm sorry, but like, I'm, my family and my kids, like, we haven't, I, haven't got the, I haven't got the money to give to you. And, but I know I owe it to you. And the master goes, hey, you know what? You're gonna, I'm going to forgive your debts. I'm going to show generosity to you. And I'm going to love you. Go. But the same man that Jesus showed that love to then goes to his person who owes him something and the guy comes to him and says, I'm sorry, like, I really don't have it. And the guy demands it from him, otherwise he's going to put him to death, basically. Jesus, the master hears about it, brings the first guy back and says, hold on, this ain't right. How can I relieve you of the debt, but yet you won't relieve the person of the same debt? Something's wrong here. And it is the parable of the merciful servant where Jesus is basically trying to say, you have been forgiven. Therefore, how dare you not forgive others? You have been lavished love. How dare you not lavish that same mercy on somebody else? Which is why, how, where does our forgiveness end? Because we think, well, I'm not forgiving them. But yet, we were the worst of sinners. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us and in verse 35 of that passage in Matthew 18 look what it says this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart and that's why these last few weeks we've been speaking to the heart because that is where the real change comes from You see, generosity gives and expects nothing back. And forgiveness gives and expects nothing back. And when I think about forgiveness, it feels easy to say, just forgive. Come on, just forgive them. Forgive them. But to the people people that I feel have wronged me, I can forgive them. But I do have a question, and the question is, is why does it still have a hold on me sometimes? Why does sometimes does it still have a grip on me? Yeah, I forgive them, but you're not truly forgiven because it's still dominating your whole world. It's still dominating everything. And sometimes what we want to do is we want to say you're forgiven, but hold on to what's happened. And I think true forgiveness is basically saying you're forgiving and letting go. And pulling away from any attachment to what has happened. And so if you're in this place today, I'm sure all of us harbour some form of challenge towards some persecutors or enemies. I encourage you to do a couple of things today. I encourage you to confess it. 
And what I encourage you to do is I encourage you to confess, speak out the unforgiveness. Speak it out, maybe to yourself, or the Bible does say in the book of James, confess your sins to one another if it becomes sin, so that you may be healed. But sometimes it's good just to confess the unforgiveness and just say, you know what, I am still struggling to forgive this person for this, for what happened, and, and, and speak it out. And then once you've spoken it out, you begin to declare forgiveness over them. And you say, in the name of Jesus, I declare today that you, name them, are forgiven for what has happened. And I'd say the real sign of forgiveness is that you don't seek to punish the other. But this is the next level, rather where you now start to seek the good of the other. Don't keep returning to their punishment. Because often what you, do, well, often what you choose not to say when you have the chance or the opportunity to say it, is one of the signs that you are letting go of that forgiveness. When you have the opportunity to say something, but yet you choose not to say it. And today it's easy for me to say that, like you might think you don't know what I've experienced, and I don't know what you've experienced. And for some of you, like I have no idea the level of difficulty, challenge, life defining moments that some of you have experienced in a room of this size they would be numerous so it's easy for me to stand up today and go hey choose to forgive them come on 70 times 7 just forgive I appreciate it's easy for me to say that when I know nothing about what has been experienced and I can't tell you how to do it today but I do encourage you to dig in and find a way Dig in and find a way about the process of forgiveness. Because let me tell you, this isn't just about them. This is also about you. This isn't about just forgiving them. This is about letting something go in you. And people who hold grudges or people who hold unforgiveness, often their world gets smaller and smaller. Because everything shrinks to the focus of the person who hurt you or wronged you. And in every conversation, it goes back to that person. In every meeting at home, it goes back to that person. And so there are great things to enjoy in the world, and the world could get bigger and bigger, but our world gets smaller and smaller because of the grudge or the unforgiveness. It makes us smaller because everything shifts back to the focus on that person. But once forgiveness is made, I believe expansion begins to come. As forgiveness is made, that's where I believe freedom begins to follow. Because no longer is your world or your focus about that one person or about that one situation. But it's almost because I've let it go, I can now begin to see a bit bigger. My world is beginning to expand. And the band can come and join me because I need to close right now. You see, it'd be easier for me today in this final part three, be easier for me today to preach about the blessing of generosity, the return of generosity, the prosperity, the fruit, the open heaven, and all that is good and all that is biblical. And we touched on that a little bit in week one and a little bit in week two. But our theme for this year as a church in 2023 is it is well. And maybe part of your well-being 
part of being well as a person, as a family, as a church, is to understand and process forgiveness. You see, you can't be fully well without forgiveness. And that requires extravagant generosity. And for me, how do I do that? Is when I have to think about God's generosity towards me. And look what it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. I close with this final scripture. Matthew 5, verse 48. In the <clears throat> message version. It says, in a word, what I'm saying is this, grow up. <laughs> this is Jesus, <laughs> not me. Your kingdom subjects now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others. And this is the final bit that I love. The way God lives towards you. When I think of his generosity towards me, that enables me, that empowers me to start living generous towards others. And for some of you, the first port of call is not being generous to others. The first port of call is understanding of his generosity to you. Receive his generosity to you. Receive his love and his kindness towards you, his forgiveness to you. For the longer I linger on his forgiveness to me, the longer, the harder I find it to harbour unforgiveness towards others. And so today, how many of you want to live the blessed life? Put your hand up. How many of you actually want to live the blessed life? The blessed life. Which is not what the world would say, because how many of you know it's an upside down kingdom? Thanks God. But the blessed life is where we give to God and we show generosity towards others. That's the blessed life in a nutshell, where we give to God and we show generosity towards others. But it has to come ultimately from the heart. We give to God from the heart, from what we decide in the heart. And then we are generous to others from the heart to one another. Because Romans 12 is all about showing, practicing hospitality, loving each other, rejoicing when you rejoice, mourning with those who mourn, embracing, hugging, loving each other like we do as a church. First group of people. Second group of people are those who annoy you persistently, the persecutors. And thirdly, those, those are those are the people of the enemies, the people who have shown some opposition towards you. And what does Paul say? Which is basically an extension from the master, Jesus himself. Love them, bless them, be good to them as your father has been good to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet.